Hello, everyone. I'm Alessandra, your Sexual Assault Safe Haven podcast host, and I'm so happy you're here. On this podcast, we'll be talking about recovering from trauma and sexual violence, reporting sexual violence, safe spaces, and more. I want to share some of my personal experiences to inspire you to use your voice and illustrate that you are valid. I also want to create a community where you feel safe, heard, and understood. And if anyone is in need of help right now, the RAIN Sexual Assault and Abuse and Sexual Violence National Hotline is 800-656-4673. Hi, everyone. The content and trigger warning for today's episode will discuss sexual assault. Today's episode is going to be an interview with my mom. She is a risk manager and a lawyer, and she was the first person I told about being sexually assaulted, and she will share a little bit about how she navigated kind of supporting me and some other ways to support loved ones who have experienced sexual violence. I felt safe to tell her about my sexual assault, and telling a trusted family member or friend is normally the first step to recovering mentally, physically, and also the start to a judicial process. Please keep in mind that everyone's abuse and experiences are different, so actions that may have been helpful in my case may not be what is right for your case. I hope this encourages you or inspires you to open up about your abuse or violence with someone who you can trust and who can provide love and support for you. You can also find links to local support groups on my resource page, which is linked in the podcast description. So. Hi, Mom. Welcome, and thank you for joining me. Everyone, if you don't know a little bit about my story, that's kind of in the first episode of this podcast. And so, Mom, I remember your reaction when I first told you I was sexually assaulted, and I remember kind of being shocked and, like, astonished with, like, how you reacted and how you told me, oh, this is, like, bad and everything, and I was a seven-year-old and didn't really know what was going on, but if you could share a little bit more about kind of, you know, what your first reaction was and kind of what emotions you were feeling or what was going through your head. Hi, Allie. Thank you for having me. I think, I I mean, obviously I'm a parent. I was scared. I was shocked. It's, you know, a parent's worst nightmare besides maybe death, right? They, these are one of the things that never you want your child to be safe. And so when you told me, I think what you said is, mom, I have a secret. And right then I knew in my heart of hearts that it probably wasn't good the next thing you were going to tell me. And then you told me for the last two weeks that your Kung Fu teacher, you know, you think had touched you. And yeah, and you you didn't want me to tell everybody else, but I think I screamed and was like, I think I, I was in shock. So maybe I didn't handle it all that well. But at the same time, you know, I was so glad that you said something to me. And I was just so happy that I know you were processing things for a couple of weeks, but like I could just tell like it relieved. It, there was a lot of relief for you. But, you know, my first reaction is like, oh, oh my God, you know what? This is my worst nightmare. And, and the other reaction was, how could this happen? I bring you to safe places. How could this be? Right. So and, and also my, you know, just being scared about like, 
how long did it happen for what was really going on and then also has anybody else been hurt so just like those types of things going on in my head and my reaction and and just how sad I was frankly yeah what like after I told you well what how did you decide on what to do next well I think you told me in the morning right before school so my immediate reaction was to go right to school because one and I think I told you like and, and maybe this wasn't I, I don't know if I got the right guidance or what have you but I at the beginning was always about using your voice you need to go tell somebody I couldn't tell somebody nobody you know people don't believe parents people don't believe other people unfortunately mm-hmm. and for me it was really about where did it happen what happened how did this happen and so we were going to school anyway, and that was the first place we were going to go to talk to the principal. And I said to you, like, we need to go tell the principal. We need to communicate this. We have to make sure other people are safe. This doesn't happen to anybody else. And we have to just, like, figure this out with the school. So mm-hmm. that's what we did. Yeah. And then after we went to, to the school, I remember I had, like, an interview with the principals and then... There were also, like, different things throughout the process. I remember you took me to the doctor's office, and then you took me to the place in our local area that had a special place for children who experienced different types of abuse. So I remember taking me there. Were there any, like, resources you used to kind of help you figure out what to do? Actually, it's really interesting that you say that. So, you know, I I work in corporate America. We do a lot of training, actually, as to you know, what to do if there's a situation, if there's sexual assault or any type of assault in a, in a workplace, right? So the most important thing is you tell authorities, you tell administration, right? You hopefully are telling the right people that you feel safe to tell. However, we went to the principal. Um, I think when you do training in a corporation around sexual assault or anything that somebody's telling you something negative, right? The most important thing is that you feel heard. And I think that's mm-hmm. When we told our principal, right, I think you probably remember the first thing he said was like, he didn't make you feel wrong. I think the principal just said, if you told me this, then I'm going to believe it. I'm, yeah, and, that, and I think that was the most important thing for me, Allie, when when the principal said, that's all I need to know. I don't know. I need to know the details. If you felt violated, if you felt no matter what it was that happened how severe, how not severe, whatever it was, if you felt that way, he was going to take that into consideration. So for me, that was a positive first step. And really, it was the principal at the time who basically came out and said, here are the things you need to do. So Mm -hmm. he actually helped us, got us in touch with the police. He called the police right away. Now, this was obviously something that didn't happen. It happened at the school, but it was an outside service that they had brought in for after school activities. So we talked about what are they doing on the out. Could you, you know, I asked him what was happening in the after school activities, how many supervisors there were. And, and then those are the other things that they took into consideration is, you know, we should always have two supervisors and that became a best practice, right? I think for a lot of schools anyway, that was already in the making that you should always have two people there observing the teachers, never leave a teacher alone because it's even, you know, it's very difficult even for a teacher that could be missed you know, mistold or what, it, you know what yeah. I'm saying, where somebody could be, you could say something to somebody that it, what they didn't like do wrong, something like, yeah, and so it, it's always good like to have that. two people there, one, to make sure no one is doing something that's inappropriate, and two, also making sure there's a witness, right? So 
I think that's really important. And we've learned that in Girl Scouts, right? In Girl Scouts, they always have to have two parents, two teachers, two everything. So I sort of knew already, like having been a Girl Scout mom too, Mm -hmm. like, well, wait a second, you know, this is the, these are some of the best practices. So for me, it was, we started with the principal, principal was very open, was, and then triggered a chain of events. And then the the next chain of events was that the police came back and they spoke to us and what was great about that is they had that special unit. Yeah. So it's sort of like television. It's like, wow, this really exists, right? Like, yeah. who knew? And that's what it's so sad, though, right? That those hmm. that that does exist. However, I think what was so amazing is in the sexual assault unit of the police station where we went to is that they make you feel safe. Yeah. They they make you feel safe. They make a parent feel safe. They make the child feel safe. They're not trying to coerce you. They're not trying to do anything. And I think, I think, I think that's something that more people need to really understand is that, you know, children don't make things up really. If it, ha- you know, children don't really understand, but they don't make things yeah, up. Yeah, if they don't even understand sexual assault, like why would, how could they even come up with something like exactly, that? Exactly right. And whether you miss the mark, whether you touch this mark or not, the reality is they know something was wrong. And so 99% of the time they're right. But I think what's so interesting about these places, they really are trained to be able to deal with younger people. Yeah. And then we went into that unit and we, we actually, I sat down, I was sitting next to a grandparent who their uh, grandson had been sexually abused for years. Like what I was so grateful for was that, you know, this was only a couple of weeks, right? Like this is something you told me right away you know, okay, it's it's one incident is not a good incident. At the same time, I felt like, you know, I felt so bad for that family too, right? Yeah. Well, after we went to this, I also, we went to the sexual assault unit. I, then we kind of started the process to go to court. Why and how did you kind of decide to take me to court and how did that all work? Do you want to explain that process? Sure. So, you know, I didn't do that, right? Sexual assault is a criminal offense, right? So what then has to happen is the police get involved. They look and see at the facts. You know, the doctor gets involved. They're looking at the facts, right? The school's involved. You know, every they're doing an investigation. When you do the investigation, the prosecutor of that county looks to see if there's enough facts to actually take it to court. Criminal offense is done yeah. by a prosecutor, right? And by mm-hmm. the attorney general, by the, the state prosecutor, you know, the, the county. And they decide, is this sufficient to bring? And it's a very hard, it, it's very hard bar, a standard to, you know, it's reasonable doubt. It's a very hard standard to bring it to a court, right? To get enough, mo- evidence. enough evidence that, you know, is uh, significant enough uh, to, to state that somebody is guilty. But if the... The prosecutor felt like that was there was enough evidence. And when they talk to you and when they talk to the police and when they talk to the to the to the perpetrator, they felt like there was enough evidence. Yeah. Also, the sexual assault unit, they made me feel very safe, like you were saying earlier. But I remember they asked me to kind of like circle where, you know, I had been touched. So that's kind of like gathering some evidence as well. And I remember that being somewhat helpful. Well, in this whole like process, you know, we'd gone through, gone to many different people and went to court and trial and everything. What do you think was the most important part of this process? And was there like a goal in a way? So for me, the goal is to take the perpetrator 
you know, yeah, yeah away from children. Mm-hmm. And we, were, we weren't successful in doing that. Mm-hmm. However, we made his life pretty hard, right? So I think the most important thing is to feel like, one, you're heard. Like for me, the most important thing is that your school believed you, that they took action, whether they believed you or not, that they took action, they did. That the process works as best as it can in our system. Like it was very interesting to go through the process. And this was before the Me Too movement. I think right now with the Me Too movement and realizing how prevalent it is, when you look at the jury that you had, they were mostly white male. Like it's really gross and disgusting. And that's when you get really upset. Like I can't believe it. But at the same time, you can't go there. You can't have all that anger. And you sort of have to trust. Wow. I think at the time, you still were very young and didn't realize everything that was happening, but you still felt very empowered by what actions you had taken. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me was so important that you saw, wow, I did speak up and I made a difference and and somebody listened to me. And I do think that's been the whole issue with the Me Too movement is people were afraid to speak up. They were afraid that nobody would listen to them and, and frankly, that the system would fail on them. And I think the system, while it didn't, turn out to be 100% what we wanted. I think it all was a positive, ironically enough, in this horrible experience, it was a positive experience as best it could have been. Yeah, I think like just going through the process was helpful in that it kind of showed that yes, this is possible. Like you can, it, it is a way of really standing up for yourself because I think as a young child, like obviously, yeah, there there wasn't, it was kind of harder for me to communicate and gather all that evidence and whatnot. And like, you're also a child. So that kind of makes the case a little different, you know, when you're a seven year old, not exactly able to maybe communicate in court as well or whatnot. But I think that like, going through that process kind of showed me that these are the actions, like if something ever bad does happen to me again, Like I can stand up for myself and I can go to court and I don't have to kind of suffer in silence and I can fight back in my own way, you know? Yeah, I think I think one of the other pieces is that, you know, sometimes with a lot of times with sexual assault, it's about shame. Yeah. And shame is what why people are discouraged to say anything. And I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you felt that type of shame because, you know, one, the assault didn't happen that long. Two, you felt heard. You felt more empowered. I think what was sort of sad, though, in some of this is that you were using your voice and you weren't shamed. You weren't shamed. You didn't feel ashamed. And when people feel ashamed, they don't say anything at all. They Mm -hmm. don't talk to friends. They don't say things that are happening you did not feel that way because you could clearly talk to your friends and tell them this is what I'm doing. And I think it was healthy. And I had a lot of people come to me and say, well, don't let her tell her story to anybody. And, oh, well, you know what? She'll don't do this. Like, we don't want to grandiose this. It's like, what are you talking about? She's still seven. Like she's just realizing that she was empowered to do something and she had a positive experience and every little girl should know that. And she should tell every little girl that. And that to me was important. Yeah, that is true. Because, I mean, it is prevalent and it does happen to children and young children. So if no one's ever going to talk about it, then it's just going to keep happening and no one's going to talk about it. No one's going to feel empowered to 
talk about it or raise their voice or stand up for themselves. Well, and the, the places where it mostly occurs, statistically, schools, homes, homes religious, insti- like places of trust or yeah, activities. Trust, yeah. And so, you know, these are the places that you trust your children to. These are the places that you trust your uncle to. These are the places that you trust your your nanny or or your babysitter or your guard. I mean, making it even harder to stand up. I Again, ma- and making it harder to stand up because the kids feel like this is a trusted person and they, but it's also a position of power yeah. and authority. And this needs to be broken down, right? Just because a priest or because a teacher or because a, a boss, they have a power of authority. That doesn't mean they have your voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I really did like, feel empowered throughout it and realize that he like didn't have to like you know suppress my voice and I remember you guys continued to encourage me you even encouraged me to write my um social justice letter in sophomore year about this and everything but so kind of with that encouragement what are some other ways you kind of tried to support me and show me that my voice was valid well I think at the time you know, we got, we did go get some books. Like you were very young and um, we would read bedtime stories. And so we found some books of kids that had, you know, sexual assault or abuse or felt shamed. So we would find books like that where, you know, we could read about those things. So maybe, you know, a small kid children's story. So children's books and children's story where it was just educating you and maybe I should have done that sooner, but you hate to have to bring those types of things in. Like, oh, if you see this and you do that. But it was it was books to be able to say, hey, you know, here's here's what this means. Here's mm-hmm. what sexual assault is or abuse is. And here's what you should do. So we started to read like some of those stories. So I got some of those. But I think the other side was, you know, just talking about it. We we talked it about it talked about it with some of your friends' parents, actually, who oh, are yeah. some of your girlfriends and, you know best friends yeah so they you had a support group there but also it could have been their children too so mm-hmm. you know it's it, like I said it's everyone's worst nightmare and then just over the years in terms of how you're dealing with it like there are times it comes up in different ways right and so okay like when you talked about that letter I think you know I think it's up to you on do you want to write about this? How do you want to write about this? Do you want this to become part of your gold award? Like, what do you want? What is it that you want? Right. And it's really, it's going to be something that's unfortunately, that's the sad part for a parent. I can't take this away. It's like when you scrape your knee, I can take that away. Something like this, you can never take away. So that's the hardest part. And that's the, that's the piece that just kills a parent and just breaks their heart. Right. Like you just, you can't, I can't take that away. Mm-hmm. from you but this is your experience and this is something you have to process throughout your relationships as you go into different ages and have different perspectives and different positions yeah I definitely think that like after I initially told you like the other thing about being a seven-year-old is that I kind of didn't have a lot of like I didn't really think about it so heavily like I remember like after you I saw you pretty like shocked and I remember you telling me immediately that you know this was wrong and kind of setting that example that yeah we have to go through this process like I think I kind of learned that like I I learned in my mind immediately like kind of differentiated right versus wrong and I immediately knew this was wrong no matter what like 
I just knew it was wrong. I didn't really think about it. I didn't think about kind of like my relationship with him anymore because I had known that this was wrong and I'm like, and you had told me that. I I mean, obviously I trusted you and I trust you because you're my parent. And I think being seven and like having you really, really show that to me kind of helped me realize that, you know, it's it's not my fault. And like, I have my own voice and like, you know, what he did was wrong to me no matter what. And I know that personally, like, as a kid, I, I, I couldn't do the whole, like, judicial process and I didn't know what to do. So you and dad definitely took charge of that. You guys had to figure out what to do. I, I couldn't do it as a seven-year-old. So I feel like I didn't really, you kind of touched on this, but I feel like I didn't really face much criticism because I had a supportive community. But did you face any criticism from others and how did you kind of handle the situation? Yeah, I think I I brought that up a little bit earlier. We got a little bit of criticism. I mean, of course, everyone's going to come out and say, oh, that was horrible, right? Yeah. I think there's a couple of things. One is I see people saying, oh, don't tell anybody because you don't want everyone to know. Which, frankly, you got to tell people. Like, you got to let people know because Mm -hmm. it's not safe for one of those people to be in a room with 30 kids. 12 kids, two kids, one. It's not safe. So if you are here in this universe to help save another life, like that to me is what your obligation is, frankly. Okay. So for me, you had to tell. How many people you tell? Now, I could have told a lot more people. I could have said a lot more things. I think I had to process my own things about do I destroy this person's life? What do I do? Right? Like you just, your thoughts are everywhere. You just want to, like, this is, you just like, how could this happen? Right. And really, but all I know is that for me, it was about, I had to do what I felt was right as well. Right. Like, and in front of you, like if mm-hmm. I were like, Oh, let's just, okay, let's not tell anybody and let's just be quiet about this. Like that's not telling you like, that's ridiculous. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you need, and to know that it's not your fault, that it truly is somebody else's fault. And it's, the school's fault. It's my fault. It's, it's, we let you down. We didn't protect you. That's the problem, right? It wasn't you at all. You did nothing wrong, right? And I think that's really critical. And then the other piece of this is yes, people had, and I could tell at different age groups, it was, there was now after the Me Too movement, I'm sure if there's three, five people in a room, three people have been assaulted, right? Yeah. In some way, somehow, in some degree, et cetera. So, when you're sitting in a room with a lot of people and people are telling you, well, don't say this and don't let her get too like this. And well, maybe you don't want to, or, or why don't you quit the school, leave the school or, you know, go do that. You know, there is a lot of, a lot of advice and you know, it's coming from people's own fear and their own experiences, which is sort of ironic, right? Like it's really sad, right? Like Mm -hmm. you realize so many people have had these types of situations. And then we told people, like even at girls, we told people, it's like, I want to help you, Allie, because I was had this experience or I had that. And so then you see a whole nother group. Like, so in, in some respect, it was just a very mixed bag, frankly, of responses. And you have to just know you have to just do your own thing. Yeah. You can't take it in. You can't take anybody else's story in. Their story is their story. Their fear is their fear. Mm-hmm. You have to just do what's right for you. Yeah. And that's all you can do. Yeah, I think so. And in terms of the school, so the person who sexually assaulted me was my Kung Fu teacher who 
he only came in for the after-school activities at school. But I know we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but some people may be interested. Like, you kind of talked about how the school was helpful, but at the same time, like, in the first um, episode, I did bring up how when I did have an investigation at my school, the vice principal asked me to touch her where he touched me, and I felt very uncomfortable, and and I didn't touch her there. And later, this was kind of used against us again in in court. And I don't think I may have like I may have like slightly said this to to like you or to dad or something, but maybe no one really understood me and I wasn't the best at communicating it because I also kind of felt ashamed about it because, you know, I didn't touch her where where he touched me and I knew it was bad if I did and it just, it was all confusing in my seven-year-old brain. But in terms of the school, why did you decide, like, not to sue the school? Well, first of all, it was your school. Second, it was after school activities, but it was under their care. They did... They did stop that school, you know, and I think they said that he could never come back, mm-hmm. right? I think your principal listened to you. I was not aware of what happened with the other vice principal. vice principal. I thought that was totally inappropriate and she was not trained. And yes, it was used against by the defense attorney, right, to sort of show, look, there's contradictory evidence. When you went into your doctor and you went into the sexual assault place where they're clearly trained on how to mm-hmm. deal with this, you know, she was not clearly trained. And we could have, you know, I even look at the prosecutor, our prosecutor to say, well, did they try to show that she wasn't trained? And furthermore, why would you put a seven-year-old in that position and say, go touch me here? Like, that's just yeah. ridiculous, right? So had I known that, I think I would have been furious. However, that didn't come out till later. And I really didn't understand everything that was happening. Of course, any any single person that has an interview, I mean, like, you know, that's I, as been having been an attorney do, doing some criminal uh, cases, you'll use anybody. You could use any family member as a contradictory. Yeah. So I know that a good defense attorney is going to do anything they can do to help their their client. Right. So I totally got that process. I don't think your school was happy about being called in for a defense witness. Right. So but at the same time, I must say, yes, the school was protecting themselves. They clearly knew they could have been sued. We didn't sue them. I just felt at the time that drama would have even been more traumatic. Like this was your school. You felt safe. I didn't want to turn around and say, now it's not a place of being safe. And, oh, we're going to leave the school. And, oh, you're going to leave all your friends. To me, that just seemed like, yeah, it's – and frankly, they were empowering you to use your voice. And they were empowering you to be, hey, how are you doing? Like they were really, you know, stand up, right? So – for me, I felt it was way more positives and negatives. And frankly, I have to be honest with you, there are so many problems at so many schools. So the yeah. fact is, it's like, I don't know where else we're going. At least I have a, a communication channel with somebody. And yes, we have problems at schools. Look at the gun violence at schools, right? It's not just one problem. It's many. Is that can you have a communi- have, have open dialogue with your school? Can you, can they, do they take action when they see risk, right? Do mm-hmm. they try to improve things? Yes. I mean, so for me, that was really important. And this was your family, right? So mm-hmm. did I put you in the after school activity? No. Mm-hmm. Did I? And frankly, in most after school activities, if I was there, like for your ballet or I always stayed, I always stayed. I always, but here it was the school. Now, again, what the school did do is in all the after school activities, they brought a teacher in from the school. So the school couldn't really protect themselves from liability if they didn't have their own teacher there in an after school activity. Yeah. So that happened too. Yeah, I, I was talking to you and dad a little bit about this. And I think that if we had sued the school, I feel like it 
it would have disrupted my life a lot more as a seven-year-old whereas like just going to like court and kind of going against you know the guy who sexually assaulted me like that was a lot more powerful it was like me kind of saying no you can't you're not gonna ruin my life and all this stuff and so I think if I you know, if we sued the school, I wouldn't be able to go to the same school anymore. I'd have to leave my community, leave all my really close friends. And it would be like, I would have to change my whole life around just because of what he did to me. And so again, I feel like I would probably blame myself more and like feel like I was kind of affected more from it instead of being more empowered to, you know, use my voice. And I think, like you said, like, it was like the school obviously was trying to kind of avoid a lawsuit. For the most part, they were, you know, pretty... They were protecting pretty, themselves. Yeah. But for the most part, I think, you know, he obviously didn't work there anymore and was, like, fired. And they also, you changed know, policy. changed policies. And I think that was really good. I do think that, like, some of the things that they were doing to protect themselves were also kind of hard to see, too, like, with the school therapist and whatnot, which I kind of touched up on in my first episode as well. Well, they um, recommend we, – we had a lot of resources at the school. So they said – and I think I actually said, well, we have the school therapist. If she has any problems, like at least she's at the school. Yeah. What I didn't realize is, you know, the school has a vested interest to protect themselves. So they're going to find anything or take any statement and try to use that any way to protect themselves from a future issue. So my recommendation in the future for anybody would be – if your school takes action or does if it doesn't take action you've got to look at that and say you either need to you need to you need to make sure you feel safe mm-hmm. however you should never put 100% of your trust in any institution yeah. because it's like any company they have to a company a school whatever they have to do what's right for that environment you need to protect you you need to protect your family your child and yourself and go where it's there's no it's there's no subjectivity like if you need a therapist, we should have gone to an independent therapist, someone who could take an independent view, who didn't know the school or didn't know the situation, right? So objective is really important. Trust is always important, but also just getting the right help that you need at the time. Yeah. Who do you think was the most helpful to you in this process? Probably you. Yeah. If you didn't say anything, I wouldn't have known. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you were acting a little strange for like two weeks. I knew something something didn't seem right. Something seemed strange. Like you never went into your room and shut your door. Like you, this is the first time you did that. Like there was something weird. I, look, I looked back afterwards and said, did I miss something? What didn't I understand? But I don't know. I think you were trying to figure things out as to what was going on. But I, I think at the same time, you were the most helpful if it weren't free. And I think that was something that even the prosecutor said, like, Allie, so, you know, they called you so strong and, you know, for such a young girl, you were very eloquent and you were very clear about what you were saying. You know, I think that was really helpful. I think the other person that was really helpful was the sexual assault uh, unit. Mm -hmm. They really were, they walked me through the process. They walked me through, here's what happens normally. Here's what we try to do. Here's the next steps. And so it, it was just really sad to see that here we have, it's like television here, you have a special unit because there's so much sexual assault, right? Or sexual or abuse, but they were very, very helpful. And then just family and friends, you know, support group for Mm -hmm. everyone. What do you think was the hardest part of this process for you? Well, knowing that you were touched. Yeah. Knowing that you were violated. I mean, that was, it's like I said, just like, it's horrible. Yeah. 
And if there's if there's one thing you could have done differently, what would it be? Or would you have even done anything differently? And this is like, I mean, personally, I feel like you and dad handled it really well. And I definitely know that you guys made me feel empowered to use my voice. And I think the process in general, yes, may be challenging. And I still may be healing from it differently because, you know, now I'm kind of able to process it from an older person, like, you know, from a, a different lens as I'm like nine years older now. But I do feel like you and dad handled it well. So just like, and I felt definitely felt safe and protected to like talk to you guys about it. And, you know, here we are talking about it in this podcast. So like, this doesn't have to be like, I think you guys did well, but just if you think there'd be anything you would have done differently. Well, I think, you know, one, you put a child in a school or after school activities or things like that, you do want to make sure, you know, where, where are those activities taking place? You know, where are they taking place? How many teachers are there? Who are these teachers? I put, I did put a lot of trust in the school to find the after school activities. This was a well-known place. You actually was with this person for many years. You actually respected him. You put your trust in this person, Mm -hmm. you know, get to know them more. You know, I think the other thing is I should have or would have, gone but we but for the fact that we had a criminal case against him we could have filed a civil case against the company that had hired him but that was more time more like at some point you you sit there and say you know what but you gotta you you ruin the guy's life anyway through this allegation you know what i mean and it's clearly should he should have gone to jail and clearly should have had to. I think what he found out when he realized he had actually, in the first instance, had pled guilty. And then mm-hmm. when he realized that he would have to put himself up as a sexual assault offender in every neighborhood, everywhere he was going to go, he would never have a job again. And that's when he got another attorney. So frankly, that's what happened to your case, which was so sad. From right from the beginning, he he actually said he was guilty. Mm-hmm. And then they basically came back and said, no, he wasn't represented well. So that was just the that was the the hardest thing I think you know to have to go through this whole process anyway but what I would say is is that you know I think the most important thing is just listen to your kids and try to work with people to get you know try to figure it out because it doesn't matter like you can fight forever you can be angry forever you can you know make this go on I mean at some point you got to live your life. Like you got to keep living too. You can't yeah. be in anger. I mean, I think about it now. I think I'm, I can be very angry if I want to be angry. I could have done a lot of things to this person, but I also didn't want to put you at risk in that regard by doing something like that, you know, that could be out there on the website and defame him and do more things that to let ever, all these other parents know that you should not be with this person. Like I wish I had done some of that, but that was out of revenge and that wasn't going to help me. It wasn't going to be healthy for me. And I don't think it's healthy for you in the long run. Like that's not the right course of action. So, you know, you go through a lot of processes of, did you do enough? Could you have done more? What else? And I think it's just a matter of, for me, it was a matter of how did you feel? Where were you in the process? Did it, did you feel justified? Did you feel heard? Like, you know, at some point then it's like, okay, then, you know. Yeah. I feel like there are like two aspects to this. Like one is that you want everyone to be safe. You know, you don't want a perpetrator to, you know, be able to be around kids or, you know, like you want them to be in jail so they can't harm other people. And then there's another part where you really want to focus on the empowerment of the person who, 
you know, has experienced this sexual violence or assault or whatnot and know that, you know, they are valid and they are heard and hopefully that they can feel empowered to, you know, use their voice and whatnot. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Mom, for sharing that with us. And I think it's really interesting to kind of see, like, you know, kind of the secondhand effects that my sexual assault has also, you know, had on you guys as parents who, you know, just wanted to protect their child. And I hope all the listeners are able to kind of think of someone they can trust to maybe confide in um, and, you know, that may be able to offer support and love to kind of help you through your own recovery process. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode and the wonderful interview with my wonderful mom. My sexual assault resource page is linked in the description box at the end of every episode and in the podcast description. There you'll be able to find sexual violence definitions, legislation, and resources to help with prevention and recovery. You can also find some sources to learn about how to help and support others. And if anyone is in need of help right now, the RAIN Sexual Assault and Abuse and Sexual Violence National Hotline is 800-656-4673. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you continue to come along this healing journey with me. Bye!